Welcome to episode 4 of Roaring Twenties Radio, a brand new radio show on Soho Radio which champions art, culture, books, poetry and activism. The show is brought to you by poet and author Selena Godden, writer and journalist Amarose Abrams and myself, a poet, Matt Abbott. We're very proud to be broadcasting live on Soho Radio, but if you ever want to listen back to an episode, you can find them as podcasts in most of the usual places. If you want links and gifts and info, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roaring20sRadio and the 20s is 20s. Okay, so today's show, with a nod to International Women's Day, we have two fantastic female guests in the studio. We have musician and producer Lima and we have theatre maker and poet Maria Ferguson. Hello. And all of the music that we'll be playing uh, in between segments will be by female artists. Um, So, how's everybody doing? I'm all right. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a funny, funny old atmosphere in central London today, isn't it? Mm, a bit quiet. Yeah, <laughs> lots of space. Yeah. It's a bit like watching Shaun of the Dead with the VR headset on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. weird. And we've, but we've tried to kind of like, we've tried to keep the atmosphere, not, our atmosphere's never light. I don't think we can ever, we never keep a light atmosphere, but we're trying to keep it kind of soulful positive and a kind of an up a get up and go kind of vibe on the show today to combat the kind of i don't i don't know what you'd call it strange atmosphere intensity it, yeah it is strange because people don't know whether to go to it's like like everything nowadays it's really binary like people are either laughing at the people stockpiling or stockpiling everything <laughs> yeah. like, it's really weird yeah. i don't know which which person to or laughing about it on Twitter whilst panic buying in the shop, pushing people over to get their hands on a Jif lemon and a bottle of sanitizer and some loo roll. Yeah. Yeah. Just stay away from the beans. That's yeah. all I ask you to do. Well, one thing we, <laughs> we were chatting yesterday and on a kind of like, I hadn't thought about this and Matt brought it up when we were preparing for the show. And it was that if you're panic buying, please don't panic buy cheap, long lasting goods, because these are the things that people use for food banks. And now the the stuff that's running low is the stuff that food banks um, use to feed people. So maybe um, just bear that in mind when you're stocking up on lentils. Yeah, definitely. Or if you are going to bulk buy loads of stuff, take some of it to a food bank and take some of it home. Yeah. Maybe, just because they're really suffering. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and I think it's all well and good laughing about people buying X amount of loo roll. <laughs> but, you know, so, some people may feel that if they don't do that now, then they won't be able to afford to do that in a in a month's time and they won't be able to have access to those things. So, yeah, it's a bit of a strange time. It is, it is, definitely. All the better for a two-hour radio show to, <laughs> to distract you from it. We're still here. Yeah. We're all here. OK, so I'm going to read a poem and then we're going to play a song and then we're going to have a couple of interviews. We're going to interview Lima and hear some live music. We'll interview Maria and have some live poetry and we'll have our usual roundups of books and art and spoken word. Um, Selena can't be with us today. Unfortunately, she's not very well. Yeah, she's she? not been feeling great and she sends her apologies and she's pre-recorded her recommendations for us and a special performance of a poem, a new poem. Yeah, that's going to be very exciting. Yeah. 
Okay, so I'm going to kick us off with a poem about living in London. It's after a poem by Elaine Khan, and it's called This Train is Now Ready to Depart. I'm in the wet sock. I'm in the wriggled pocket. I'm in the waxwork parade of faces, of mile-long driveway faces, waxworks of the world. I do not roll in glitter. I shuffle around, clutching clock-cold pasty in half-redundant hand, and I think, who else is dumber? I think, who else is as gullible? To capture the unattainable and to find it as a chore. To be black ice beneath worn souls. I'd like to thank Nationwide Building Society. Like to thank my parents, Rockefeller Barbers in Oldgate, East Ham Leisure Centre, podcasts, box sets, Bombay Sapphire, my Fred Perry polos. I spend more money on two months rent contributions than any single personal purchase. Litter discarded like childhood daydreams and smoke alarms with ancient batteries. To escape the numbing comfort, tread water beneath a surface that's a pillowcase in a gale. I'd also like to thank your move. Like to thank my neighbour's nocturnal baby, Skype calls, pollution, sourdough, the central line, Uber Eats and my ambition, my wooden house in 1666. I know you're anti-sex 
to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm Emma Rose, and I'm here with uh, Lima. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. good Lima is you. a musician and a producer. She's multi-talented, a kind of electronic wizard and a poet, <laughs> just a soulful being. Aww. Her album Home came out earlier this year yeah. um, to great acclaim. Yes. And she's been staging some really interesting and kind of breaking new ground with her performances that she's having doing in people's homes and also in art galleries and in standard venues, your expected venue as yes. well. Yes, yes. Very but I exciting. Wanted, I wanted to go back to um, the source and kind of ask you, uh, you've been working in music for a while. How did it all start for you? Okay, so um, I graduated in fine arts, so that's my uh, upbringing and graduate graduation. And but I've always been a musician, a musician in heart. And mm, around when I met my husband, my now husband was my boyfriend at the time. He was like, I used to work in the Museum of Modern Arts in São Paulo, and I was assistant for the curator, so it was a big deal. And he's like, you're so much a musician. Why don't you come and make music with me? And it was so charming. And I was like, yeah. okay, maybe <laughs> maybe this is right. Yeah. But I wasn't very, um, how can you say, like you? I wasn't very confident that I could be a musician myself. Yeah. Especially in a very male-centric environment. Yeah. Um, and I knew I had the abilities to produce, but I, again, wasn't confident about it. It's a very, very male-centric environment where you have always the a man behind a desk producing, and normally you're either the singer or just the girlfriend hanging around there. So yeah. it was a big step. Of course, I had a support of a, lo a lot of lovely men, but yeah, yeah that's yeah. how it started. It's like because you have to stand up in front of people in this particular way, and I feel like a lot there's a lot of way people even communicate in those environments. It's quite male and it's quite yeah, like yeah. And, you know, like when um, growing up, I always felt like, OK, I'm part of this. Mm. Um, I'm with the boys. Yeah. Uh, but there was a point like I was on tour with so many boys and I wanted to talk about manicure and like <laughs> there's no, no one that can even like <laughs> exchange an idea about this. And fair enough, you know, but I was a bit. Um, yeah, it was very male centric. So that's when I decided to that with my husband being away on tour that's when i decided to write home as secret poems for him to s tell him how i felt in yeah. london i had just moved to london and it was dark miserable coming from sao paulo brazil it's like ah where am i doing here this is too cold <laughs> this is too gray and he was away hunting and getting our resources playing and i started sending him secret poems yeah. on since on, on on an email like this is how i feel today yeah i'm anxious i'm angry i'm happy there's too much dust in the living room and things like that yeah and that turned into music later <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's like the really uh, kind of beautiful way of keeping it alive when you have these jobs which separate you for periods of time yeah yeah it's really yeah. good it's really good um it's really good to keep it alive and to keep connected and to keep in tuned and to speak yeah. about things that are actually the routine, normal life that we all go through. Yes. You know, so being on stage and being the performer is one part of your life. But when you come back, you fetch the the lunch, like 
meal for the kids and you have to do laundry. How does that all fit? Because I also have a lot of pleasure in doing that. Yeah. You know, and it's not very glamour to say, oh, you can come home and you can just do the dishes. People yeah. are always telling about the other stuff they do, but they don't talk about what they do at home. And then do you, f I mean, I, I kind of think it might feel a bit like you have to compartmentalize parts of yourself as a woman, like almost like the parts of yours or as a homemaker would be you a man or a woman, um, yeah. whatever your gender. But it's... Um, is there something quite liberating about bringing all those things together? Exactly, because then it's only it's one thing that makes sense. So you bring the music into your home and you bring the home into your music and then they integrate and then there's a oneness into the whole the whole thing. And it's yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And then I remember you were telling I well, I missed it because I was away. Yeah. But I saw all the pictures because you've been doing these wonderful performances in people's homes. Yeah. Almost recreating but with a kind of with a disco twist. Yeah, with a disco <laughs> twist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Recreating um the kind of the emotions that you go through at home, the motions of the day. Domestic motions, would yeah. you say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the way you move at home, the way you hold your cup and do the dishes and, and how did you come up with that how did you conceive it well again it was um it was with this analyzing this distance in between the movements you have to do at home with your body and like let's say do fetching the laundry and but then you go on stage you have to be something else you have to be this beautiful women that's empowered but that movement that you do of like picking stuff from the floor you never do on stage <laughs> <laughs> it's not very romantic it's not very nice I remember like folding sheets and I normally put my like my chin to fold the sheets yes and some friends of mine like don't don't do that on stage <laughs> it look very good like double chin <laughs> folding <laughs> sheets and I was like yeah but that's the reality you know like we try yeah. to be something else um of course, I had to adapt some movements so they weren't so so present as the home. Um, but now, whenever <laughs> I'm doing laundry, I always tell my kids and my husband, I'm practicing a performance now. <laughs> <laughs> so for my own healing and for my own calmness and sake of like, okay, this is also nurturing me to do something else. You yeah. know, let's look at the home. I think nowadays, this next two weeks, it's like home is going to be the place to be you can learn a lot from like this <laughs> movement <laughs> like bring poetry to this movement so that you don't go crazy so yeah and i one other thing that i really got from your album was this sense of space and time of moving around the world and this kind of this these kind of ideas about distance and closeness and kind of your mind being in one place, even if you're having to physically move around. Yeah, but there, th that's also something about home. And yeah. when you have home and you have kids, it doesn't really matter where you are. You just have to build your presence and your awareness there. Of course, there are things that are left behind. But like as a mom, as a touring mom, it was many, many times that I was so worried about leaving my kids behind. Mm -hmm. And I just felt this is not natural to be a mom and go on tour, but why not as well? You know, like, why is it always the man who has to go on tour? Why can't I go? So I started building the system of, like, bringing kids on tour or, like, getting getting them to stay in one place where I go to the other. And 
So there was always this displacement of where is my feeling? Is it here with me or is it there? So to bring home to the, the performance also... It's part. It's also part of this healing of this presence of okay. I'm still a mom here as well, mm. and it's okay to be a mom. You know, it's yeah. okay to be a woman here. I don't have to feel guilty that I'm leaving kids behind. Yeah, a lot of women feel like that. Yeah, yeah most of the kids are just so kind of impressed and like thrilled. You know, yeah. it's so gr- like great. Like say, my mom gets on stage. Yeah, my mom yeah. goes around the world. Yeah, they are. They are. But um, now they're all teenagers. They are very thrilled. And they're very, uh, they're they're very, uh, they're a big source of inspiration as well because I see how they react. So now the big thing is they want me to go. Like, are you not leaving? <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> they want to have the house for themselves, of course. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so I don't belong in this. So the whole, when I say we build a nest, a lot of comfort, and then we leave. And when we leave, we crave for home and other comforts. And the people that stay there, they want us. But when we come back, they're like, why don't you leave? And it's such a reality because <laughs> it's just how yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a bit of a co- all these contradictions. Yeah, yeah. But I think in a way as we, as, as conversation develops around um, gender and identity and the roles that we have as women, um, these things become less taboo. Exactly, and why not like nurture your work with that and just bring it face to face? And the autonomy to navigate your own interpretation of your life and what's in it, not not being somebody else's choice. Really. Exactly. I remember the first, the first, <laughs> the first performances I've done in my own house, just like a tryout. I had friends coming, and the men, like the boyfriends, they were like so cringed up. He's like, "Oh my god, she's really talking about that to <laughs> us." <laughs> They're looking at me like, oh. what are you doing? And I'm like, cool. Uh, <laughs> just have to look at look into my eyes and let's talk about yeah. anxiety. And yeah, they were like, I don't think I'm very prepared for that. But uh, like things change and you, you make an imprint, you go there and you, well, you know, that's, that's how it happens. Exactly. And we'll move forward. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I've got a track you're going to perform a track now yes, sure. for us. Yeah, good. Um, so I'm just going to, uh, we're just going to get started here. I'm hitting play. We built a nest, a lot of comfort, and then we leave. And when we leave, we crave for home and all the comforts. We built a nest, a lot of comfort, and then we leave. And when we leave, we crave for home and all the comforts. And home never feels like home. 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 Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Thank you, guys. Thanks. Wonderful. That was a real treat. Um, you are listening. You've just heard uh, Lima singing live on Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio, um, and now we are going to um, speak to our second guest, uh, writer and theatre maker Maria Ferguson. Hello. Uh, Maria Ferguson is a multi-award-winning theatre maker from Romford in Essex, and her, f- her debut one-woman show, Fat Girls Don't Dance, won the uh, Best Spoken Word Show at the Saboteur Awards in 2017. Her follow-up show, Essex Girl, won Show of the Week at Vault Festival in 2018 and was shortlisted for the Tony Craze Award at Soho Theatre as well. Um, but we're here to speak about uh, Maria's debut poetry collection, All Right Girl. Um, so if you'd like to read us a poem, Maria, first. Yeah, I'm going to read the title poem, I think, which is called All Right Girl. <laughs> All Right Girl. It's the call of the blokes I know from trading notes for pints of John Smith's. The relief of another living, breathing thing in an empty pub in January. It's a longing for a lost wife or three. A smile as their palm is graced with change. They hold on a little too long. It's the raise of the hand or curt nod. When I see them in the street, away from beer mats and tired stories, tired eyes, rosy cheeks, a greeting in a familiar kitchen, the same questions to follow each time as the poetry, as the love life. It's the cabbie who knows the East End like the freckles on his wife's nose, rolls out names that might impress Jack the Hat, Billy the Bomb. It's the barman on a Saturday night when I said I'd only have one and my eyes are red and my mouth is dry and all I really want is his voice to be my dad's on the end of the line, miles away, killing time with that question I never know the answer to. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. It's one of the first times I've read from that. Is it? Yeah, a bit of mosh, that's all right. Nice. (laughs) Good, good. Um, and I will just say, for the benefit of a listener, um, Maria and I are getting married in six months. So if it feels like we're being over-familiar in a professional setting, <laughs> that's why. Um, so we, you <laughs> just, just... Like a disclaimer. Just a disclaimer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So we've, you've just read that from your debut poetry collection, and on the front cover is a beautiful picture of you standing on a balcony um, with a, a cityscape in the background and a beautiful bit of sun glare on the camera. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about this photograph to begin with? Because it's obviously very important. Yeah, so, yeah, the photograph on the front, it was taken by my friend Susie, Susie Corker. She's amazing. She does all my, um, my photography. And um, I had this photo really before I even started putting together the collection, but as I started writing it, it became more and more evident to me that this should be on the front. Um, the balcony is actually my nan's balcony from, well, when she was alive. She's She's been gone over 20 years now, but um, she lived in the flat of where this balcony is, and um, I'm sort of, like, looking over to where uh, West Ham football ground used to be, the bowling, and we used to watch um, the football matches from my nan's balcony um, before they left to go to... Uh, stadium but the less said about that the better um and yeah you can see that now they're building flats um where the football ground used to be you can also see the church where my mum and dad uh, got married right next to the grounds <laughs> and had photographs outside the stands afterwards and a lot of the poems um in the collection sort of focus on my own heritage and um coming from sort of uh, Essex East London uh, background but also sort of how that part of London's changing and the gentrification and also how I'm changing and how I've sort of grown and learnt more about my heritage and learnt how to be proud of it instead of ashamed of it, which I was, I think, for a, for a long time. I think we're instinctively inclined to be, aren't we, sometimes? Um, so can you tell us more about the title? Because obviously that's that's very much embedded in your heritage and where you're from, the title of a book. Yeah, whenever I sort of say the title, I'm like, oh, this is from my collection, All Right Girl. And then I have to say, you know, like, All Right Girl? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like you could only really say it in that accent. Yeah, it sounds weird if I say, yeah. oh, all right, girl. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> odd. But when you say it, that's it. It's, and that's why it's so important, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, all right, girls, just, uh, uh, you know, people have been saying that to me since I was very young and probably will say it to me until I'm an elderly woman. And it's the fact that that, that term is, you know, so problematic, really, when you're calling women girls. Um, but also something that fills me with a lot of warmth and familiarity and a, a lot of the collection is that pool sort of, um, you know, feeling really uh, at home in working class communities but also knowing the problems um, that stem from them and sort of all the gender stereotypes within that and, um, yeah, but also just the fact that if you ask someone if they're all right these days, you're not actually asking if they're all right. You're just going, all right, and yeah. the person goes, all right. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, I'm really depressed. But it's, yeah, a lot of uh, mental health issues and just, you know, coming to terms with myself and finding peace and acceptance and finding love and respect for myself. Um, that journey through, you know, sticky womanhood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, that links me to my next question, actually, because you started off writing poetry. Uh, you joined the Roundhouse Poetry Collective. You took part in slams. But your first two major works have been stage shows. So as we mentioned earlier, you, you've done uh, Fat Girls Don't Dance um, and also Essex Girl, both of which were published as playtexts by Oberon. So this is your third book, but it's your debut poetry collection. So mm. do you think that links to that journey and the fact that you're now in a place to be able to reflect on it and look at it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm a lot more nervous about um, putting a poetry collection into the world than I was with my stage shows. I don't know whether that's because there's still this elitist 
nature around poetry. I mean, there is around theatre as well. Um, but I always felt and still do feel a little bit, actually, that I'm not a proper poet, you know? Yeah. And sort of I, I started writing straight out of drama school. And I, as you say, I did a lot of slams and I did a lot of performances. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good at this. But then you're, you're, you're always sort of, am I? <laughs> am I good at this? But also if you have a different style to people or people have different um different thoughts on what makes a poem a, a good poem and um yeah I've I have have a lot of debates with people over that because I think in poetry you have these buzzwords that aren't necessarily um good things, you know, if something's uh, relatable, emotional, confessional you know, and I'm like, yeah, great. They're great things, but they're said with, you know, oh god, you know, it's very relatable. Yeah, it's very relate. It's very accessible, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. There's a lot of gay. <laughs> you don't want people to access it, though. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a bit weird, but yeah, I think putting anything into print is a big step, and it's so final. Um, but you just have to look at it as a snapshot of where you are at, at that time. There's n you know, there's nothing to say you can't grow and develop from that point. But it is strange putting poems down on the page, much, much stranger than with the other books. But I like to see them as a, as a sort of trilogy as well. All my girl, uh, my girl things. And I'm like, oh okay, we'll move you know, move on to something else. But I feel like this collection sort of completed that 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 journey and that part of my um development as you like as an artist and now I'm ready to do something else. But I'm still very scared <laughs> about people reading it. But also very excited as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrifying and exciting in equal measures, I guess. Mm. So it's almost like a time capsule, you would say, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So if this book were a magical reverse time capsule and it went back to five years ago and you read it then, which of the poems in the book do you think would surprise you the most? For any reason. Um, ooh. I think for a long time I was scared of form. And I thought, you know, for you know, it got on my nerves when I went to a poetry reading and people would be like, oh, you know, that was a villanelle. And I'd be like, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> and I'd feel silly for not knowing what it is. So I was like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to write in form because, you know, it's that's not accessible. That, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to. But then I thought, well, that's silly, isn't it? You should, you know, develop and learn and read and, you know, try to write outside your comfort zone. So I tried to do some poems in the collection that were to form and I wrote a sustainer. Cheek is Sustina Turner. Uh, <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, that's okay. You can look it up and go, oh, that's interesting. Or you can just read it and enjoy it and not have to know it's a Sustina. Um, yeah. Isn't it weird? Because uh, if you went to see someone do a gig, they wouldn't be like, okay, this is in 4 4 and it starts on an A sharp minor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You, just, you just enjoy the song. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I might have a lot of like. S stuff around it that that makes me feel like that. But anyway, I wrote I wrote a Sistina for uh, for the collection. I wrote a sonnet. It's a Shakespearean sonnet, so it's kind of basic, but it's a sonnet nonetheless. And I've put it in. And uh, yeah, the you know the the Sistina's called Gargoyles, and it's probably one of m my favourite things in in the collection. Um, other things, I swear, there's one called Halloween that I wouldn't have thought I'd ever put into print five years ago. It's very um, personal and 
confessional and um, hard to read, really. I was yeah. quite worried about my mum reading that one. And I don't know, all the stuff about marrying you, <laughs> <laughs> falling in love with you. I'd never been in love before, so I guess five years ago I'd be like, really? Okay, that's a adventure. That You know, things I didn't expect, but yeah, I think most of it in there five years ago I'd be like, oh, right. Okay, and that's why it is such, you know, of of its time, you know, both for me and in the world in general, because the world's always changing and evolving and, you know, things are so unexpected. I mean, look at what's going on now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why poetry is so important, I think. Yeah. Um, so I've got two more questions. One of them is very much about the book and one of them sort of stems from the book. Uh, I think it's an incredibly deep and varied and intricately crafted uh, collection. Could you just tell us about the recurring themes and strands in there? Because there are a few that like intertwine and develop throughout the book. Mm, yeah. Um, so there's a strand that um, stems from the title from All Right Girl. Um, All Right Girl. It's different poems with this with the same uh, with All Right Whatever. So it's All Right Girl, All Right Love, All Right Son, All Right Mate. And they're all um, based in pubs and are about the, the pubs that I've um, worked in throughout my life and the people that I've met and that sort of close-knit community and how those people really look out for each other. And um, the first and last poem of the collection is also about pubs and also about gentrification and changing and evolving with, with the world and what's going on, but also sort of having almost grief uh, a sense of loss over um those changes and then there's another uh thread through the book so the this <laughs> this is sort of something for me to know not every reader would notice but i like it that the fact that the the 10th poem in the collection is called 10 the 15th is called 15 20 25 30 and they're all um about a friendship so it's about me and my my best friend I've had the same best friend since I was like three years old and um their po each poem is about what our friendship was like at that age so 10 is about when we were 10 in in the playground and then it goes on to secondary school university you know watching her get married feeling very very alone finding love myself you know it's just about our evolving friendship over that time so that's a strand as well and then there's a lot of body image stuff in there as well my debut show that's fat girls don't dance was all about body image and had uh, poems in in the text publication as well but they were all from a time where i was very unhappy and struggling a lot with my body and and with food and my image and stuff like that so i wanted to write some more poems that are about me now having been on the other side of that mostly and sort of coming to terms with myself and finding peace yeah there's you know there's there's stuff <laughs> i think that's, that's the best advert i've heard for a book really that was amazing um so my last question is uh, you write a lot a lot of the poems are set in pubs you love pubs um, i do what would be your <laughs> What would be our key ingredients for a good pub? Whatever, what if you were going to make a pub from scratch? What oh, would we say this all the time, though, don't we? Because now I'm a bit older. Now I'm into my thirties. I want to sit down. <laughs> I want to sit down. I want a cheap drink. I want good music, not too loud, <laughs> because I want to have a good conversation. 
Uh, dartboard's always good. Pool table's always good. A good jukebox. A pub quiz. Love a pub quiz. There's a pub quiz in the collection. Yeah. Poem about a pub quiz. We always go, don't we, on a Sunday? Yeah. I love a pub quiz. Yeah, I love, yeah, pub I love them. I love them. I'm not, we're not even that good at it, are we, no. really? No. We're just I don't like think I'd it. enjoy it if we had a chance of winning. Yeah, um, that's what I like. Okay. And Mer- no filament lamps or craft beer. Just, good. Just, just branded. Just <laughs> cheap beer. Cheap <laughs> alcohol. Maria Ferguson's Guide to a Good Pub. Yeah. You know that George Orwell essay that Weatherspoons yeah. was based on? I reckon I should just write one. But yeah. that's quite similar to what he said, what I've yeah, just said. not too bad. What's your take on the no crisp policy in some pubs? What? I've been to pubs and they won't give you crisps. It just wasabi peas and things. Oh, we were in a pub like that the other day, weren't we? I said, have you got any nuts? nuts. I just wanted some KP or something, do you know? And then they had these jars and it was like... um, What was it? Moroccan Moroccan spiced almonds. (laughs) Yeah. Wasabi peas. Those Thai cracker things, which, you know, I do like. But I'm not paying three quid for like a little plastic thing of them. Um, and then there was some spicy uh, cashews or something, which I was uh, tempted by, but I was like, I was in nuts. the end, I was just like, you're all right, I'll just have me wine. Other <laughs> cheap branded nuts are available. So yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not on with that, and you should definitely <laughs> have crisps at all times. Yeah, always crisps. Um, would you like to read us a poem? Another poem. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll read a body image one, shall I? Because I've just been speaking about it. Um, okay, this is called Miracle. Um, after Jameson Fitzpatrick. This is another thing I've started doing, the after things. It makes you feel like a proper poet, doesn't yeah. it? I've read a poem and written my own. <laughs> okay, Miracle. I woke up and it was a miracle. I had nowhere to be, but I got out of bed and that in itself was a miracle. The tea I made was a miracle. And how I left you sleeping because you looked so peaceful. And the clothes on the floor and the wine still in the bottle, that was definitely a miracle. The cat purring was a miracle. The noise from the builders next door, butter melting on white toast. The toast on my tongue was a miracle. I dressed in front of the mirror and it was a miracle. I took time to look at myself ran my fingers over my body, my face, my hair, and thought it was beautiful. I smiled, and it was a miracle to see myself smile back. Thank you. Thank you very much, Maria Ferguson. And your book is available to purchase now if you go to mariaferg.com. Indeed. You can buy it from me, or you can buy it from Burning Eye, my publisher. Buy it from me because I get more money. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got She Drew the Gun um, with Resistor. Pose the floor, take the road. I feel the 
service Sex workers with a service Street workers risking murder on council estates Reclaiming space from ethical leaders And we just need to speak it so we can proceed again
Hello, this is Selena sending in my book list from my writing cave. Um, for So my book recommendations for March 2020 for the Roaring Twenties radio show. I'm roaring about Open Pen. Open Pen is a fantastic indie publisher and they've got an amazing series of novelettes. I've read The Prick by Mazine Salim and Never Seen the Sea, Holly Watson. I can't wait to read the rest. Um, check them out it's openpen.shop um support your indie publishers um and open pen's a good place to start another book i've been enjoying is radical acts of love by janie brown this is on canongate it's an incredibly affecting and deeply wise book it's a roadmap a toolkit and a love song to the human heart this month I also received the first um, Japanese edition of The Good Immigrant. It's out now in translation, so for anyone of our listeners who are Japanese, you can now read The Good Immigrant in your mother tongue. I'm very excited about that and the yellow cover, of course. A Tall History of Sugar is out this month. It's a love story set between rural Jamaica and England in a turmoil of riots and class division. That's um, been written by Cadella Forbes and is also published by Canongate. Cash Carraway is one of my heroes and I'm really loving Skin to State, Notes from the Poverty Line. Please look out for that. Um, Kathy Burke called it brilliant, horrifying and really fucking funny and I'm going to go with Kathy Burke on that one. Our friend Michelle Madsen tweeted in um, that she thought we should all be reading more poetry by Frank O'Hara. I have to agree with her there. And she also suggested The Darkness Around Us Is Deep by William Stafford. I haven't read that, but I'll check it out. Thank you, Michelle Madsen. A poet that I've been loving, a book that I recently got my hands on, is Sharina Energy, a Galaxy Walk. She's a fantastic poet, great live and great on the page. Check her out. That's published by Burning Eye. Another new book on the pile is I'm Not Sidney Poitier by Percival Everett. This is published by Influx. Check out Influx Press, actually. They are fantastic. Another great indie publisher that are really leading the way in interesting um, and fascinating fiction. David Turner's Contained was a suggestion from Abby Palmer. She recommended it as a banger about space, confinement and mental health. Abby Palmer actually has an amazing book out herself called Sanatorium, which is also uh, published by Penned in the Margins. So look out for Abby Palmer um, Sanatorium. So I'm going to close there by just saying there are lots of uh, readings and things coming out free. Check out your libraries. You can get ebooks and audiobooks and podcasts and download these for free. And as authors and poets, you still get paid when people borrow your things from libraries. I understand that a lot of us poets and authors are having to cancel events and festivals due to um, the coronavirus. But do check out your library. Um, your library is your friend. Um, talking of freebies, outspoken press our great friends at outspoken press they um, are now doing their ebooks for free so check out outspoken press okay i'm coming to the end of my list now all i can say is donate to food banks if you can um do all you can to pop in with your uh vulnerable neighbors and friends and family but most of all keep safe stay inside if you can um uh, you know and, and keep a calm head when all about you are losing theirs sending much love and I'll speak to you more next month. Bye-bye.
The streets are filled with debris The folk streets were never light Not like you lied to me Not like you lied to me Welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm Emma Rose and I'm here with Matt Abbott, Maria Ferguson and Lima. But now we're going to take the time to have a little delve into what's been happening in the art world. Um, nothing's been untouched by the coronavirus, <laughs> although hopefully everybody listening and everyone in the studio. Um, but uh, I wanted to, t- we'll get to that later. I wanted to talk about the one thing that I opening that I did make to make it to this week, which is the Andy Warhol at Tate. Um, there's lots of um, discussion about Andy Warhol and how much we see of him. Hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think whether I think and one of the things that really struck me about this show and about Andy Warhol was that everyone it's one of these people. He's that famous that he really does. Everyone has a different relationship with him. Everybody from kind of coffee cups to um, blankets, posters, pop culture, high culture, low, he's touched everything. And I think that means that a lot of people have a very different relationship with him. But interestingly, the really intellectual, um, critical end of the art world doesn't engage with Andy Warhol so much. But this is kind of but it's also but which is interesting in a way because then you've got the you've got your kind of Liz Taylor pictures you've got Marilyn you've got 
all these you've got the velvet underground you've got the new new york in the 70s you know this iconic 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 time that just um is still resonates culturally now um and what's really interesting about this show was that it looked at him as a man and it looked at him as an artist and as a fine artist so I think the intention behind it was to look at him, look at him as a gay man, as an immigrant and as somebody working class who worked their way up, who was a successful illustrator making a lot of money. And then the bottom fell out of that when people started doing fashion <laughs> photography. And um, he started and he just and he wanted to make his mark as a fine artist and actually wasn't that readily accepted i think the art world at the time the kind of late 70s it was still kind of a quite abstract expressionist it was very masculine it was quite gung-ho and it wasn't about it was very much about the man the artist the idea the hero of the idea and this person that's just inherently creative rather than andy warhol's concern which was where art intersects with life and culture and what people say and do so I thought it was interesting and in you've got your big hitters in there. You've got your Elvis, you've got your Marilyn, you've got Marilyn's lips. You've got the beautiful silver pillows that you can dance through. You've also got a room which is a recreation of a party at the factory, which is sounds oh, wow. cheesy, but it's great. No, yeah. it's really cool because you go in and it's like there's projections all around the wall of kind of performances and it's dark and there's like you feel like you're at a party and if there are enough people in the room you really feel like you're at a party yeah, yeah. um and i imagine even with coronavirus that <laughs> show is going to be packed <laughs> 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 and so and then but one of the things that i thought um from a critical standpoint um made it really stand out as an andy warhol show was that they included these pictures that apparently haven't been shown for, I think it's 20 or 30 years. I think it's 30 years. Maybe it's 20. Sorry, guys, I do not remember. But um, it's these portraits um, called Ladies and Gentlemen, and they are of um, black trans women that Andy Warhol knew and celebrated. It's one room dedicated to them one extremely large picture and they're done in the exact same vein as um marilyn or liz or elvis um but it celebrates these um these trans women at a time really when i mean it's just i think attitudes are just starting to shift now and this and it kind of it takes it makes you see his work in a slightly different light rather than him just looking at fame and people's reactions to fame, I really felt like this, seeing these pictures, it was more, it was really about celebrating individuals as well. Yeah. Rather than just an obsession with pop culture. And, um, and yeah, and the show also kind of looks a bit at his religious background, at how religious he was, I think, and, um, and how this kind of idea of iconography and as an, as an outsider, maybe in American society, looking at the approach to celebrity and fame and commerce and rather than it being him being into it, it's kind of like him coming from a very religious background, um, an immigrant background and seeing how these things were iconized, raised up by um, the culture that he'd gone into which i thought was really it's, it is interesting i mean it is another andy warhol show 
And we've, we all know Andy Warhol, but I still thought it was very much worth seeing. Another show which I saw actually and forgot to talk about last time was the Steve McQueen at Tate. And if you go and see both those shows, the Steve McQueen is fantastic. Um, just to jog your memory, he is um, an, an artist and film director. He directed 12 Years a Slave and Widows. And um, it's, a, it's an exhibition entirely of video arts, very well installed for the tech heads among you. And um, it's just, it's, there's nuances on race and on celebration, who we, who we choose to celebrate and how. And there's also just these wonderful observations that he makes, these beautiful moments of subtlety and charged emotion um, that you see in his that make his films so magical but I think when you look at where they come from through the art it's a wonderful insight into the mind of well, you know uh, an Oscar winning film director yeah. it's like how, how many directors do you get to see this volume of work from and really understand where they're coming from so that's really cool um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is everything's been cancelled <laughs> <Yep. laughs> everything's closed I mean like most um, galleries, I'm getting a lot of emails through saying um, it's appointments only or closed oh. for most commercial galleries and people aren't really flocking to public spaces at the moment. But fear not. If you want to see some art, there's always the internet. So um, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I thought was uh, fantastic and sprung to mind, and I kind of like remember this every now and again, is the wonderful Ubu Web, which is this kind of online repository of avant-garde film and recording. It's really, it's like, if you want to go on, a, if you're kind of, you've watched all the usual channels and had your dose of rom-coms and you want a deep dive into something a bit different, but you still want to binge watch, this is a really great place to go. Um, they've got things like... Uh, John Lennon's Diaries, they've got sort of pop songs by Joseph Boys, they've got clips of um, local TV um, from America, um, like, cre like creative performances, um, interviews. It's a huge resource and it's all kind of, I mean, I've seen wonderful like free jazz performance. It's really, really interesting. And um, so if you want something a bit more challenging then I would suggest definitely heading that way. It's ubu.com, ubu.com. And you can just kind of just kind of go through everything that they've got in there. It's a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, the site Berlin Art Link, which is a great little magazine, um, they have started, and they're updating it daily, um, Art Online Now. So if you go to berlinartlink, all one word, dot com, and um, they've, they've got a little breakdown of everything that you can access online. They've got Esther Schipper, the gallery, and they've got an online viewing room. M Woods has got an online viewing room at the moment. Prototype is a digital platform um, of new video work. Um, David Sverner Gallery. Um, they also have an online viewing room and this is all kind of listed. If you go to the website, they've got a list that they're adding to of art that you can access online. 
um, another, this would be another great opportunity to have a look at digital art. There's lots of sites out there with kind of digital, um, what we call post-internet art, which basically means art made with or about or relating to our life online or computers. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big, it's a growing sector. <laughs> um, and data.art, D-A-A-T-A dot R is one place where you can go and They've got a great resource, great load of videos and interactive um, works and things that you can have a look at there. And that's really interesting. And um, they also have additions that you can buy on their site. They're a nice company. Another thing that I wanted to, th I've heard a lot about this week was um, Riz Ahmed's project, The Long Goodbye. That's on YouTube. Or you can just Google Riz Ahmed, The Long Goodbye through your favorite um, search engine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, it's a, it's he's got an album out with the short films online for everyone to see, and it's a kind of it's very moving. It's quite challenging, but it's very good because uh, most of the things he does um, uh, about kind of his relationship with Britain um, and um, racism, basically. But it's very very good. And his kind of it's his long goodbye to a certain relationship he's had with his home. I think that oh is. Right. Wow. It's good, and it's free and online. Good. Yeah. Um, is Ubu free? Ubu's Sorry. free. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Ubu's free, and um, everything that I've mentioned is free. Uh, I hope that we can come back to uh, seeing things in real life soon. But really, at the moment, and then the other side of it also, lots of things, affairs have been cancelled and employment and stuff like that. I think as I'm getting a lot of. Um, I'm getting a lot of uh, people contacting me, friends and otherwise, just concerned about money and concerned about gigs and planning, even if it's not a money issue, even if you're being compensated financially, even though things are getting cancelled. There's something very discombobulating about a blank slate. Mm. It's weird, isn't it? Because like, if I were to be compensated, like as a writer, it's the best thing ever. Oh, you've got to stay inside for two weeks and you literally can't do anything. Amazing. <laughs> She's going to read, write, get drunk, l have a lie-in. That's brilliant. But like when you're not able to do it, I think that's yeah, totally different. Like is. The idea of it's great. But when it's like the tubes aren't running, the trains aren't running, the radio stations are down, the shops are shut, the restaurants are shut, that's like, oh, wow, okay. Exactly. It's a funny feeling. And I think um, it's something that people really aren't used to. And when you're not used to something like that, um, you get a bit of a doomsday vibe. But I think we're all going to be okay. Yeah, we're all going to be okay. I've had two emails since the beginning of this show saying that I've had work. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Buy no. my book. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can still get to the post office. <laughs> um, and now I think we're going to um, play a track, and we're going to have some Janis Joplin. Um, with that in mind, get it while you can.
You are listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. Um, we've just had Amarosa's Art Roundup, and we've had Selena's Book Roundup, and now I'm going to give you a roundup of spoken word poetry events, which will probably be cancelled. Um, <laughs> I've got a full A4 page of events, and I just want to say now, if these are cancelled, and I've told you about it, it's not my fault, please don't send me Twitter abuse um the last i saw these were all on and i, I don't know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna chat about them anyway because there's artists and venues and nights that you should know about um i'm gonna start off with my own because it's just at the top of my list uh i've been doing a series of events in leeds called livewire through my label nymphs and fugs and the last one in the whole series is meant to be on the first of april and um, we've got Toria garbo and kevin p gilday headlining and some open mic acts and that's yeah, at Hyde Park Book Club in Leeds on the 1st of April. We also, we've also been doing regional dates around the country. So we've done Manchester and Bristol and Birmingham. Um, we're supposed to be in Colchester on the 29th of April. That's at Colchester Art Centre. We have Luke Wright, Molly Naylor and a certain Maria Ferguson who's in the room right now. Um, so they're the two final live wire dates in this series for a long, long time. Um, Maria also is launching her book at the Roebuck in Borough on Wednesday the 8th of April with Laurie Bulger and Molly Naylor supporting. And then Maria's travelling to Norwich to support Molly Naylor on her book launch on the 27th of April with Ashley Hickson Lovens supporting, who was on our show last month. Yeah, that's so that's a nice circular narrative. Okay, so Lyra 20, which is Bristol Poetry Festival, that started yesterday. Uh, and that's running until the 22nd of March. Most of the events are actually sold out, 
Last time I checked, you could still get the events for Xena Edwards, Harry Baker, Amy Aker. Um, there's loads of performances and workshops, uh, some incredible things. And it finishes with a romantic Bristol walking tour, which sounds quite nice. So that's the Bristol Poetry Festival called Lyra 20. Uh, Vault Festival, as I'm sure most of you know, Vault Festival is is sort of like London's equivalent to Edinburgh Fringe. It's loads of amazing alternative theatre and new theatre that takes place by Waterloo. Um, my pick of Vault Festival is The Unsung with their new show, A Beautiful Way to Be Crazy. It's about women in the music industry and it's based on interviews with um, various female musicians and women who work in the music industry exposing the systematic misogyny and the, the problems that women face and it is uh, expressed in poetry, song, uh, theatre, all kinds of different art forms and I've not seen this show but I've seen The Unsung before and they're amazing so I'm going to go see it on the 17th it runs from the 17th to the 19th of March at Vault Festival, fingers crossed uh, so up in Liverpool there's a brand new night called Spit It Out and that's launching at Bean Bear Coffee in Liverpool, the opening night is on the 18th of March uh, Nymphs and Fugs artist Toria Garbutt is headlining alongside Roy my favourite thing about Roy is the fact that he's just called Roy. <laughs> he's amazing. I've seen him perform. He's very talented. He's very funny. He's very hardworking. And he's just called Roy. I like that. Uh, Tori and I also are going to be up in Birkenhead doing Memories of the Near Future Festival with She Drew the Gun, who we played earlier. That's on the 24th of May, Bank Holiday Monday. Are we going to be all right by then? 24th of May, Bank I hope Holiday? So. Yeah, hopefully. Is that going to be. Yeah. I hope so. If we're not, I don't want to know about it right now. No, me neither. Um, okay, so Speak, which is the best night in Manchester, in my opinion. No offence to the other nights. Speak is back. Uh, look, I've been to the other nights. I've performed it. I feel bad, but I'd Speak's my favourite. Speak is back on the 19th of March. It's at a new venue with a new look. They've got new branding and everything. And it's a top secret lineup. If you look at the flyer, the lineup's been redacted, Boris Johnson, NHS style. So uh, Speak is back in Manchester on the 19th of March. Um, also up north, because I'm just keen to represent my northern roots, Huddersfield Lit Fest from the 19th to the 29th of March. There's lots of good things happening there, including Helen Mort, who's one of my favourite poets. Mm. Kevin P. Gilday, who's one of the artists on Nims and Fugs, he's um, premiering his new show, Pisces Boy, in Glasgow on the 28th of March. Uh, it blends comedy and poetry. It's on Sochi Hall Street on a Saturday night, and I think it's free entry. If he's not, he's going to be very angry with me, but you should check it out, because Kevin P. Gilday, he does poetry, theatre, comedy, music. He's a powerhouse. He's, he's gigged everywhere from uh, Glasgow house parties to theatres in Hollywood, so he, you've got to check him out if you're anywhere near Glasgow. Um, the Outspoken Awards, uh, Selena mentioned Outspoken in her book roundup. They host an annual um, poetry award ceremony. The long lists have just been announced on social media and the award ceremony is on the 30th of April. So if you're anywhere near London, you should definitely go along. Um, it's always a good award ceremony is the Outspoken one. I'm too scared to enter it myself. Um, a Nymphs and Fugs artist, Luke Wright, he is on tour everywhere all the time. I would bet my bottom penny that he's gigging every single night in every single nook and cranny around the country. He's got a new show called The Remains of Logan Dankworth, which completes his trilogy, but he's also doing gigs as well. So check out Luke Wright. Uh, check out his gig list. It makes me feel dizzy. So as we've all mentioned already, a lot of these events might be cancelled. A lot of events are being cancelled. Unfortunately for Maria, she's had two events cancelled since we started broadcasting this show. But um, what, have, what have they asked you to do in Leicester, Maria? Find the right words. They've asked you to... Oh. Possibly. Possibly. This is a possibility. Oh, sorry. And I think it's a good idea for all, you know, poetry or 
um, music gigs that are going on that are going to be cancelled, um, that we may do it digitally so that acts will record their set ahead of time and put it together in a podcast so people can still have that experience while they're self-isolating <laughs> at home. Um yeah, which I think is a great idea. I'm not saying that that's set in stone because that's just a suggestion at the moment, but I think it's a good suggestion for um, us in general at the moment. And just to, to be able to enjoy each other's work still and, you know, give give each other a bit of hope. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you get a little contact, a little bit of injection of something other and a connect. Yeah, you're right, a connection with... Um, something and yeah. somebody and a group of people even if you can't be physically together I kind of I'm feeling I'm feeling like having people over for tea and dinner and drinks and I feel like it's I was quite alarmed at how quickly my world which is like between my house and and the actual and traveling around has just well the moment something got cancelled I was meant to go to the Emirates and that got cancelled I was very much looking forward to it and then it was all of a sudden my world just shrank to my street and the people who lived down the road and I was just I, I don't know I felt quite taken aback by it I kind of just started messaging all my local friends and then people started popping around and it's like we were all kind of everything just got smaller and cosier yeah. Well, the best thing about art is that it's always a response to something. It's always a reaction to something. So um, the reason I mentioned Lester, which obviously is a suggestion, is that uh, Deanna Roger, who's a, 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 an amazing poet, she's potentially live streaming a gig tomorrow night and she's inviting other poets to maybe tap in and live stream some of their performances. Uh, I know that Dan Cockrell, who runs Bang Said the Gun, he's done quite a few live gigs from his shed. We read a poem at one of his gigs, didn't we, in his yeah. shed. So he just streams it live on Facebook. I think he had about 15 poets, interviewed us all for a few minutes, did a poem each. Um, Stephen Light Lightbound in Bristol, he's on about doing it. And I don't know if you've seen, but Simon Armitage is doing a new series of interviews from his shed. He had Guy Garvey in from Elbow recently. That's on BBC Sounds. So it seems like already the, artist, the artistic community is rallying around and responding to this unprecedented pandemic that's changing every hour, which I think is incredible. And that showcases how important art is, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and it's just, I think, in a time where you feel powerless, rediscovering that ability to just jump up and do something and communicate it is quite empowering. Yeah, and it's one of the things that first attracted me to poetry is the instant nature of it. Um, you know, you could potentially write a poem an hour before an event and read it on stage. I'm not suggesting that you do that, but, you know, <laughs> you could have a, a gig on Tuesday night and somebody would have written a poem about the coronavirus. Same with a song, obviously. Yeah. Um, but How many Edinburgh Fringe shows are going to be about the coronavirus? Oh, the, uh, <laughs> oh my God, I dread the immersive one. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> What's the song you've been singing all day? Oh, I've been singing my Sharona. But oh, yeah, I did that as well, my Corona. And, you know, it works. I, it works. And I needed to sing something else apart from Happy Birthday when I was washing my hands. So, <laughs> oh, you know, dear. you can say that that's in bad taste, but, I, you know. it's, it's That's <laughs> what we've got to do, it. though. It's a reaction. It's a response. Much as it's very serious and we all need to start thinking about washing our hands and who we come into contact with. We've also, like you're saying on Twitter, it's terrifying, but it's also some really funny stuff. Yeah. Sort of the only way we can get through it, really. 
Yes, my, sometimes my favourite tweet was when somebody said that the WHO have now realised that dogs no longer ca- they don't actually catch the coronavirus. That was a mistake. <laughs> there was a story saying that someone had given their dog the coronavirus by letting it kiss them on the face, which I'm <laughs> against anyway. But on the lips, anyway, that's a separate issue. <laughs> they just they'd realised another debate <laughs> yeah. entirely. There. Yeah. <laughs> They'd realise that, you know, dogs don't actually catch it. And um, so they say, so literally, who let the dogs out? WHO let the dogs out. Oh. Yeah. That works too. See, this is it. There are puns. There are puns waiting to happen. Let's see what we can do. No, I love that. So, yeah, um, these events might be cancelled. They might not be cancelled. I don't know. But as I've just said, there are quite a few poets, just that I know, planning on doing things online. So I'm sure we're going to see some great responses and reactions to it. We might as well use technology, aren't we? This is the right coronavirus doesn't get a digital virus, right? Oh, Oh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, Oh, my God. (laughs) The writing retreat we've all been asking for. Yeah. And saying, we we were saying, wait, wait, we need more time. We need more time. We need more time to seclude ourselves and write and create. And now we've got it. We're like, no. What do we do with time? No, please. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't. I want to travel. Yeah. I want to be late to my flight. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I've got a couple of releases which presumably won't be cancelled by the coronavirus. Um, so uh, a poet called Eric Tran has a new collection out called The Gutter Spread Guide to Prayer. Um, they are exploring the aftermath of one of their close friends' suicide while simultaneously looking at the complexities of being a gay black man. So that sounds like a really impressive collection. Um, Agnes Torok has a new collection coming out very soon on Burning Eye Books. In fact, it's out this Monday coming called All the Days We Don't Revolt. Agnes Torok, she's an incredible poet. Um, Verve Poetry Press are publishing two pamphlets on the 19th of March. One of them is called Hotel by Ali Lewis and one of them is called Big Sexy Lunch by Roxy Dunn. Um, and yeah, Verve Poetry Press keep publishing loads of amazing new stuff. Um, and then just a couple of bits of news. So there's a poet called Lionheart, who most people on the poetry scene, especially in London, we all know Lionheart. Um, he's been doing a late night show on BBC Radio London on a Friday night, but has now been upgraded to do Monday to Thursday. So that's great. That's great news. Um, yeah, I think that's everything on my news. Oh, one more thing. Um, I feel a bit embarrassed saying this, but uh, one of my songs, Borough Kitchen, 4am, has won the Bread and Roses Award for political songwriting. It's only a very, very small award, but it's an award nevertheless. Yay! If I ever get a Wikipedia page, it'll be on there. Every little um, helps, Matt. Every little helps. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a roundup of events and poetry-based releases. All right, now we've got a track um, chosen by Matt, and this one is Arrays Rewind um, by the Cardigans. Yes.
Welcome back. You are listening to Roaring Twenties Radio. It is Saturday the 14th of March. I'm Amma Rose. I'm here with Matt. Hello. And Lima. Hi. And Maria will be back shortly. Yeah. So we wanted to spend um, a couple of minutes chatting about International Women's Day because originally um, we, we decided that we wanted to have female guests and all of the songs that we're playing are by female artists. So we wanted to do something to celebrate International Women's Day. And it is a terrible shame that it's sort of been swept under the carpet by all this corona Exactly. Talk. Lots of things have been pushed off the agenda, um, including um, the release of Chelsea Manning, which I, I, I'm looking, I've been searching for news for. But then back to International... Well, it kind of, well, not so back to International Women's Day, but then on to International Women's Day. We really felt like we wanted to celebrate um, m women musicians, women creators, and um, uh, and all, just mainly because I feel like at the moment we have a lot of conversation about progress, we have a lot of conversation about pushing, I, I think in a way it can make us feel like things are moving forward when perhaps they're not. I don't think they are, really. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, no, like obviously there is a lot of progress, but... It seems to me like gender imbalance is still a huge problem. And I realise I'm saying that as a cis man. But like it's like it's very obviously still a problem. And in like I've worked in the music industry and I've, I'm a poet and you know, it's it's so obvious. I'm I'm not the best person to but it's very, very clearly still massively entrenched yeah. in misogyny. And I I was just thinking of what Lima said during our interview and it was about vocalising things. It was like well, Pete, you can people can say, "Oh, yeah, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel that way." But you said that when you vocalised it in your performance, you felt a little cringe back. Yeah, yeah. There is, there is this like lack of confidence that we women tend to have. And when I saw Maria also saying that it was hard for her to let her feelings come out and just vocalise as well. Uh, but I think it's part of a. Uh, our own healing as women, you know, of being oppressed and being taken by patriarchy for so long. Um, it's been too long, you know, it's been since the three books of the truth, the Bible, the Torah, and uh, and uh, Quorum, that patriarchy swept all of the goddesses away from our our day-to-day -day, um, lives. And we've, uh, like, we've lived on the... And then that, and I always tell my kids like how the world would be if Trump was a female, if um, Boris Johnson was a female, and just like have more of the sense of maternality, which a lot of men have. You know, I, I think you don't need to be ashamed to be a man. I, I know amazing divine masculine men that really know how to embrace it. The problem now is just that we've been over the top with patriarchy and with the fight and fly and the fear and the anger and all of this, these feelings that are can be positive some ways, but at the moment, they're just too much. Yeah, and I think I agree with you wholeheartedly. And another issue I think we have is this idea of um, women's rights being something of the future and um, the patriarchy being um, a symbol of the past. But as you say depends how far back you go and where you look and who you talk to it's not necessarily um, um a f just a, f a straightforward motion yeah it's, 
And I think that creates, because I think I, I do think that makes people react in a certain way. It's like, well, you know, I, I, I'm all right with myself. I like my life. I liked how I was. And I think that maybe when we start to look at history in a bit more of a holistic way, so I think that's one thing I think is really, that's one thing I think people are starting to do. And I love it. And like be aware of the goddesses, be aware of like paganism and what came before making history bigger and broader yeah, and wider. That's so interesting and so important because that's when we connect again back to nature, find out so much um, so much primal instinctive feelings that we have, which I think it's an opportunity now, like this next few weeks. We have to live with ourselves. Mm. And it's so hard to live with yourself and connect back to holistic things like your own breath, you know, and uh, <laughs> and deal with this. So um, despite being woman or man or gender, I think it's a time to connect to yourself. And as women, I think we do connect with ourselves a bit more than men. We share our thoughts. We share our feelings easier than than men that hold the grudge. But then again, it's um, it's not black and white. There's a lot of men that are capable to transcend and there's a lot of women but the problem is that we women have been trying to be like men for so long to um to get our jobs to pay the bills by ourselves to be this and to be that and it's time for a little bit of a change a shift yeah yeah yeah. but you were saying matt that it's been going for a hundred years i didn't even know that in various forms, yeah, in various forms. Um, the Socialist Party of America organised the Women's Day in New York in 1909 and then German delegates proposed um, a special Women's Day to be organised annually in 1910. Uh, after women gained suffrage in Soviet Russia in 1917, March for 8th then became a national holiday there. Um, so it sort of gradually started happening in various countries and then the United Nations officially began celebrating it in 1977. So in some places it's a public holiday, in some places it's just a hashtag. Um, but <laughs> it has been around for a long time, but it does feel like, to me, it feels like a new movement. But then obviously, cause, partly because I'm a man and I've always had male privilege, but it seems to me like International Women's Day it is responding to very, very modern issues. It doesn't feel like it's been around for over 100 years, if that makes sense. I wonder how many, like, how many people it is on their radar, though. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because... If it's been around for that amount of time, I'm sure I didn't really know about International Women's Day until maybe at the most, m- at the most ten years ago, but probably not that m- that long. I definitely didn't know about it when I was a teenager or mm. anything like that. No. And I'm wondering if it's because I'm in this bubble now and this sort of like artistic woke community that we, t- you know, we acknowledge it a lot more than other people would and do, do other people even know that it exists no exactly and maybe hopefully it could become something less commercialized but similar sentiment as like valentine's day or mother's day or just a day where you celebrate the people in your life no but then actually no i'm remembering that man's day thing now and i, I i've changed my mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there is an there is an there is an international men's day. There is an international man's day. Yeah, it's in November. Fair, fair enough. Come yeah. on. I know, but you can the, do your moustache at the same time. Well, the, the the problem is obviously it feels like International Women's Day is something that's instantly there to be attacked. Mm. Well, like, why is that though? I, d- I don't know. Like, 
again, I realise I'm saying this as a man, but it, it almost feels like people roll their eyes when they hear it's International Women's Day. Mm. Whereas you wouldn't do that with Mother's Day, you wouldn't do that with Father's Day. I guess maybe they've, because they've been picked up and commercialised, like you say. But when it's International Women's Day, oh, when's International Men's Day? is the knee-jerk response. <laughs> but, I, I, but I genuinely think that... Uh, it's. Re- I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody, but I wouldn't. Wa- I would not be surprised if there were women who rolled their eyes at International Women's Day in certain parts of the country. Oh, I think so. Mm, yeah, definitely. Certain parts of the world, because yeah, because then uh, again, women have been trying to imitate mirror men, you know, like and really being proud of like now I'm this uh, masculine force as well, which is f- we we both have all of the forces. We just need to be in tune with them. Yeah. Exactly, and I kind of feel like it's this. Uh, there's this the feeling of um, it's about vote. It's about put. There's this whole kind of thing. It's like which I feel like I definitely have had directed towards me as a woman, especially kind of a small little skinny woman. Like, and it was like you know, just don't. You're so lucky to be so kind of tiny and girly, <laughs> aren't you? Just so you know, don't don't make don't be noisy. Someone one woman told me I wasn't allowed to sweat. What? Sweat? You don't sweat. You don't sweat, dear. You glow. Oh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I, and then and it's like this whole kind of thing of like, be small, be compact, be quiet, be you know, know when to, know when to speak and know when to be quiet. And I kind of feel like had that, you know, that's something that we need. That's that's what I feel. We need to kind of shake off. It's like just. Just have the freedom to be who you want to be at that yeah, moment but that's in a lot time. Of, it's a lot of work for us women as well because it's a lot of like trying to find these things and shake yeah. them off, and it's yeah. not so easy. No, you've been told your whole life how to how to be. So maybe that's why vocalizing, as Maria was saying, as a it's 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 hard, you know. And yeah, exactly. But I wanted to play a track now. And I think it's quite fitting. It's a Sheila the gig by um, P. J. Harvey. Perfect. Nice. Uh, modern day and an ancient goddess all wrapped into one. I've been trying to show you over and over. Look at these, my childbearing hips. Look at these, my ruby red, ruby lips. Look at these, my work strong arms. And you've got to see my bottle full of charm. I lay it all your feet you turn around and say back to me he said she
Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Milton, pot of thieves, wild cord of my sleeve, thick heart of stone. My sins, my own, they belong to me, me. Say beware, but I don't care. The words are just rules and regulations to me. me. She can't. 
We're very lucky. We've got a poem that Selena recorded for us, um, and it's called uh, The Moon Don't Talk to Me Anymore, and The Moon Don't Talk to Me Anymore. And the moon don't talk to me anymore And a pair of starlings swing on the skeleton in a cage Pecking at the fat and the meat and the seed And the cherry blossom is plastic Bought for a fiver from downtown Chinatown And the moon don't talk to us anymore And the white tablecloth is stained with coffee Which comes from a country in flames And the moon don't talk to us anymore and the moon don't talk to us anymore. 
She is rising fat and full and silent, furious with grief that washes up with tide after tide on this tiny island, the tide that rises with the moon, the salt water crashing to shore. The moon won't talk to us anymore. And the night is dead and the dark is long and the rain pours down like the sky's all a river. And the moon don't sing. And the moon won't sing. And the moon don't sing. And the moon won't sing anymore. And the fear spreads and rises and seeps into everything Like the virus and a bad smell like smoke under your door And the moon don't talk to you anymore And the moon won't talk to us anymore You have memories of sleeping in your clothes Like a bad dog on a blanket on the floor are these memories or premonitions? I just don't know anymore Because the moon won't talk to me anymore Because the moon won't talk to us anymore And she's hanging heavy And the sun has turned his back And all I see is a coat of clouds And the rain washes decency away But the sound of the washing machine is a comfort Like the sound of the sea from what you remember from a postcard someone sent you before, remember? It was stuck on your fridge door. I do. I wish you were here. I wish you were here. Because the moon won't talk to us anymore. And the moon won't talk to me anymore. And your fridge feels safe, so you stock it up good. They say it's safer to get a delivery of groceries. You just hope the delivery man washed his hands, cleaned his van, sanitised his face, and has no next of kin. And we buzz on the internet like bees. We are the lucky ones, ain't we? Hiding at home, locked in our houses, wearing pyjamas and boosting the heating. Try not to think of the poor or the elderly, those that ain't safe and those that aren't eating. I think of the food banks, the people in prison the kids that need that one hot school meal a day all the folks who can't afford the extra bills the extra food the time off work and the extra pills and the moon ain't shining anymore her milky face is clotted with uncertainty and all the gods are stone cold silent today and the sun is a box set you binged in that heat wave And your hope is at the bottom of a well and there's a hole in your bucket but you've got to keep turning the handle because this too will pass and nothing is forever and all wankers are equal but some wankers are more equal than others speeding off in private jets to bunkers and leaving their brothers when they voted for all of this mess and more and the moon won't talk to them anymore and the moon don't talk to me anymore And the moon don't talk to you anymore And the moon won't sing anymore
And while we all didn't picture it this way, hiding at home in pyjamas and making jokes on the internet about stockpiling toilet rolls until you're the last tweeter on Twitter, you tweet yourself a meme of yourself with the last sheet of toilet paper, you hum along to an empty fridge, you talk to the washing machine, its face is as round as the moon, and you sleep on the floor, and the moon's not laughing anymore. Some brand new that was Selena Goddard with some brand new work called And the Moon Don't Talk to Him Anymore. And the musical backing was called The Workers of Art by the Cinematic Orchestra. Um, we're now going to ask uh, Maria Ferguson to read another poem, please. Yeah, I'm reeling from that. Mm, it's good, it's lovely, stunning. We love you, Selena. I hope she feels better soon. I'm going to read um, uh, my sonnet for my girls as we were talking about women and friendship and the importance of that. So it's a very, very short one. Sonnet for my girls. I have seen the chunks of vomit in their hair, the makeup smudged across their pasty cheeks. We've taken turns in playing truth or dare, had arguments that carry on for weeks. I've danced with them till dawn in dingy clubs. We've waited for the bus with cheesy chips. They've given me their shoes when mine have rubbed, then forced Sambuca shots upon my lips. They've taken all my hurt into their hearts. I've seen them become mothers, become wives. We've laughed the pain away before it starts, then held each other's hand when it arrives. Still, I don't think these women know their worth or how they are the centre of my earth. Oh, stunning. Oh, stunning. Thank you. I wanted to quickly do a shout out for um, the winner of the Max Mara Art Prize for Women, Emma Talbot, this week, which who I forgot to mention earlier, and um, introduce to you the wonderful Lima, who will be performing her track, Disco Pregnancy. Yeah.